Good morning, church. Please, it's great hearing even your muffled voices. Please turn with me to Revelation 13. And we take up where we left off last week, Revelation 13, and look at the second beast. Last week we noticed this beast coming up out of the sea. He attempted to deceive the world. And now this beast, verses 11 and following, rises from the earth and also deceives the world. He is the emissary, the ambassador, the hitman for the dragon, the devil. And he's attacking the woman, the church. That is, this beast, this worldview, these social pressures, these ideas that flow from hell intended to deceive, these are trained on the church trying to hinder our mission. But there is a way to defeat Him. There's a way to resist Him. It's not an external way. It's not simply trusting in the trappings that are around you, your family, your parents, even the organized church. These are helps for sure. But what we find in our passage is something that resides in us internally, something that we, an activity that we are giving ourselves to morning and evening today. Don't forget the evening service, by the way. You need it for your discipleship. It's also the way you can meet some of these uh, officers you're going to be voting to nominate uh, shortly because they all pledge to be in the evening service. It is what we give ourselves to this day, morning and evening, week after week, month after month, retelling the gospel, cutting deep grooves in our mind. This activity is what we need above all things if we are going to withstand the systematic and systemic attack of the evil beast. Let's begin reading in verse 11. I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number 
is 666. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. I want to thank you for, I want to thank you for being you. You find out that there is a need in this city or this world, and you respond to it. And you were doing that by wearing masks uh, even before we recommended them. You find out there is a need in our community that our hospitals are, and medical professionals are being overwhelmed, that our children are at risk because they can't get vaccinated, and you just rise to the occasion. We all complain about masks. We all hate masks. But you find a need and you rise to it. It's been a great inspiration to me. And uh, I was thinking about uh, why we were doing this. I was having to remind myself last night. And I was thanking the Lord for where He has brought us thus far and what He has done miraculously through very smart scientists. And so I stopped being a scientist and and never being confused for a scientist. This past week, I've been, I've been trying to learn about the vaccine, how it works, how a vaccine works, and particularly this new one for COVID. And, and uh, here is the way I understand it. Now, I thought about this illustration so late last night, I had no time to call an expert, so the experts can correct me in between. But here is the Alabama version of what the vaccine does. The, uh, the vaccine, the vaccine, when it goes in you, trains your body to do what it's supposed to do. It helps your, it, sub- it, it helps, it subsidizes your immune system, trains it to be even more accurate. So that COVID virus comes into you and it has a particular look to it. You've seen the look of that virus. It has these spikes on it. You might think of that as a knife. So the bad guy comes into your body with a knife. And he finds your healthy cell and he plunges that knife in there and he starts pumping bad, bad messages into it and it starts imitating it. But the vaccine has figured this. They Very smart people have figured out how to do this. They figured out how to help our bodies, our immune systems, recognize the knife. To recognize just the spike. Not to give us a little bit of the virus, but to recognize the spike. And so our bodies... Our immune systems every day are training, saying there's a spike, there's a spike, there's a, there's a knife, there's a knife. It's like putting up a wanted poster. If you find this knife, kill it. If you find somebody holding this knife, kill them. And so our immune system responds that way. There's a knife, there's a knife, there's a knife, there's a knife. And then when the actual virus comes in, it sees the knife and it kills not just the knife but the carrier. Now, what is that but an illustration of what we're trying to do Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? By training us up in the Word of God, training us up in the truth, by preaching the Word of God morning and evening, by teaching in Sunday school classes, by catechism, by children's ministries, by Bible studies, we are trying to train our immune systems, our spiritual immune systems, to recognize false teaching and deceit in any form it might come. 
to train ourselves to make spontaneous decisions to say, to make quick decisions, not to, we don't have time to run get our concordance, don't have time to call the preacher, but every day we're being lambasted with, we're being confronted with deceit, and we have to find it and respond to it and think Christianly in response to it. Week after week after week, we're training to be tuned to the truth so that we can recognize falsehood, defeat it, and live truthfully and faithfully instead. You know what that's called? It's in our text. It's wisdom. It's wisdom. Malcolm Gladwell in his book Blink a number of years ago tried to capture, he didn't have the biblical word for it, but he's really describing wisdom, describing the people's ability to make very accurate decisions spontaneously. And he said, here is the way it happens. Here is the way spontaneous, quick, spontaneous, accurate decisions occur. Here's the only way. It is by, and these are my words, rigorous education and experience. Rigorous education and experience. You know, he uses the 10,000-hour rule and so forth. If you do something for 10,000 hours or 10,000 times, then it becomes muscle memory. It becomes habit. It becomes instinct. And when the call comes to perform, you're able to do it, whether you're a golfer or whether you're, a, whether you're an ER physician or whether you're a general on the, on the battlefield whether you're a mom with your child, you know what to do, and you can't always explain how you know what you do. You just do it. That is what the Bible calls wisdom. And wisdom only comes, Malcolm Gladwell says, we have more knowledge, more knowledge, more facts than we've ever had in history, but we have little understanding is what he put it. The Bible calls it wisdom. We know a whole lot of stuff, but we don't have wisdom. There's only one way to have true wisdom. It is by rigorous education in the Word of God and practice. And that rigorous education comes not just by studying the Bible on your own, but it comes formatively as we gather corporately in worship. We call that here retelling the gospel, retelling it again and again. And the, and the design is to cut deep grooves in our hearts and souls and minds so that instinctively we recognize the beast, the deceit that comes from him. We respond with faithfulness. The Word of God does two things for us in this passage. We find them by inference. The Word of God, God's Word, provides tests for false teaching. And the Word of God provides tenacity for faithful living. Tests for false teaching and tenacity for faithful living. Look, first of all, verses 11 through 15. This beast rises out of the earth. Not only is, is uh, John saying that that deceit is everywhere, the devil is about the work of deceiving everywhere in land and sea, but he is saying that the first beast came from the outside, this beast comes from the inside. In other words, when you get inside Christian circles, you can't be assured that you're not going to be deceived. The devil is as active, maybe even more active, deceiving from the inside as he 
inspires wolves in sheep's clothing who are warned about as he is on the outside. This beast arises out of the earth and he creates parodies. We used that word last week. He, he takes things that, that are ordinarily beautiful. And uh, ordinarily, the means by which God advances His kingdom, and He transforms them into something that is much less and is an ugly imitation. The first thing you see is that He tries to deceive us by looks. You see this two-horned lamb in verse 11, a two-horned lamb. That's a lamb. He tries to, he tries to convince us and, and we, we get this by looking at Daniel. Remember, we're looking at the Old Testament and, as well as the New Testament. Daniel describes this two-horned lamb in Daniel 7 and 8. There was an allusion to it in, in Psalm 18. And the old scholar said this is, a, this is an attempt to usurp and deceive the role of the Lamb of God. And the Lamb of God comes to bring peace. He comes to make a sacrifice for us that if we trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are at peace with God. But the deceiving devil comes and says, no, 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 no. that's not the secret to peace. Here is the secret to peace. The secret to peace is by adopting my mentality. The secret to peace is by keeping your mouth shut. The secret to peace is by not being a Christian. The secret, the secret to peace is is everywhere in our world except in the one place where you can find true peace, which is peace with God. Now, this would have been meaningful to these, these Roman listeners because the, the, uh, Rome was saying, we have come to bring peace to the world, Pax Romana. We are going to bring peace to the whole world. And this is the way they brought peace. If you disturbed the peace, they killed you. This is no peace. That's an imitation peace. Some people say the way to bring peace, preacher or Christian, is don't talk about anything controversial. Don't talk about anything ethical. Just preach the gospel. And the gospel means that, that when, they, when, when people like that say, just preach the gospel, they mean, just, just preach what makes me feel good. Just tell me that my sins are forgiven. But don't nose your way into all of those areas that the Bible speaks into. The second way the devil deceives is by speaking. This, this uh, beast, notice, speaks like the old serpent. He comes and speaks as he did to, to, uh, to Eve. And, and the way the devil speaks is by introducing, introducing doubt. He didn't really say, I mean, did he really say not to eat of every tree of the garden? You know the only reason he did that is because he doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to be as fulfilled as he is. So eat it and you'll become like God. How do you recognize when the devil is speaking and not the Lord, it's the injection of doubt, the introduction of, oh, God may not be as good as you think He is. And when you're in a self-pitiful state, that you're, you're vulnerable to that. Maybe He isn't as good as I think He is. 
The third way this beast uh, creates parodies is by his acts. Now, here he works signs. This is an allusion to the exodus and the, the, the slavery in Egypt when those, when those uh, false magicians came and tried to imitate all of the miracles that Moses did. Ultimately, they could not imitate everything that he did. Now, the devil does give power to do some amazing parlor tricks. There such a, there's such a thing as deceiving magic. But he doesn't always have to use magic or magical arts. He can deceive us by things that we, anything that we consider to be amazing, that's what he uses to deceive us. Oh, this doesn't, this doesn't seem right what this person is telling me, but, oh, but I just, I just can't get enough of them. He uses relational manipulation. Or, or this doesn't seem like the right teaching or the right practice, but look how many people are following them on social media. Look how many people are flocking to their meetings. He uses that, uh, he uses that deceit of success. And by parodying the, the truth, that is, God does operate in a way that we can see God does speak to us. God does do marvelous and miraculous things, and He causes the kingdom to grow by numbers. But by the devil imitating those and just turning the truth back a crank, he is able to deceive. So what do we do? We have to, we have to test every teaching. We have to test every prophet. Now, the Bible gives us those tests. We've looked at them before. When we were studying through Exodus, we looked at those tests. I'll just remind you of them. I'll point you to where they are in Scripture, and I'll show you how they come out in, in this passage. There are four tests that are applied to any prophet. We find them in Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18. God said, here, I've already taught you that here's the way you're going to know whether I'm speaking to you or not. It's going to be consistent with the teaching of Moses. It will prescribe that you walk in a manner that is worthy of me. It will urge you to worship me, and it will be confirmed by short-term prediction. Every prophet who fulfills those four tests, if they write something down, then you take that and you put it in the Ark of the Covenant. That's going to be in the Bible. Same test in the New Testament. Now, here are those four tests. Let me give them to you in order. Number one, test the prophet and see, test that teaching, whatever you're hearing, see if it demands rejection of God or ascribing to something or someone else the devotion that is alone due to God. Nothing that comes from the Lord, obviously, will ever turn you away from Him. Nothing else should ever say, worship me and love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, no matter if it's your, if it's your job or your vocation or a relationship. Second test is, does this teaching tell you to walk faithfully with the Lord Jesus? Or is it telling you to keep a party line? or to keep a particular economic philosophy, 
or to follow a a particular person's mandates and commandments and follow their personality. It's only from the Lord if it tells you, walk after the Lord. The third test is, is it consistent with what is taught in Scripture? Scripture doesn't contradict Scripture. Scripture only reinforces Scripture. And not only do you look at that through proof texts, but you look at the pattern of Scripture. Is this what I'm hearing, what I'm being urged to to practice, what I'm being urged to believe, what I'm being urged to say? Is this consistent with the pattern of God's will revealed in Scripture? And the fourth test is prediction. Has it been confirmed by short-term prophetic fulfillment? Now, only the Bible is going to meet that test. Every book in the Bible has not only met those first three tests, but every author of Scripture or every author sponsored by the, the, the sponsor of every author of Scripture has said, thus saith the Lord, this is what you are supposed to do. This is consistent with what you've heard so far, and let me prove it to you by God working a miracle in your midst. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, and if it doesn't happen, you can stone me. If it does happen, write it down and put it in the Bible. Every book of the Bible, the Bible you hold in your hand, has been miraculously confirmed to you in that way. So if someone comes along and says, well, this is what the Bible says, but you know, we have advanced we have become more mature, we've gained new insight, then you can say to your professor or to your neighbor or whoever is teaching you that, you say, I am willing to believe that. I'm willing to commit my life to it if you'll just do this. Predict something that's going to happen in the next six months or a year. If it happens, I'll follow your teaching. If it doesn't, I'll stone you. No, don't do it. But that's effectively what was being told. And every prophet of Scripture, and only the Bible contains that proof. The second thing the Bible does for us, it provides these tests, and all of those tests you can apply here in, in chapter 13, verses 11 to 15. He said, worship the beast. He teaches falsely, and there is no prediction of the future. The second thing the Bible does for us, the Word of God does for us, is it provides tenacity in faithful living. Now, this is what you've been waiting for, 666. I'm going to tell you exactly what it means. You ready? No, I don't know what it means. But it does, it does mean this much. We know this already. We don't, have to, we don't have to think too hard about this now that we've, we've become such experts as we are in the book of Revelation. You have become already. You know what the number seven is. The number of seven is God's perfect number. It refers to God's perfection. And so anything less of that is, is not perfect. And so the number that is closest to seven, just shy of it, is six. God created man with a little less glory than himself, Psalm 8. Man is impressive, he's amazing, he can do wonderful things, but he's not God. He's a six, he's not a seven. 
And so anything that comes saying you need to be stamped with, you need to be approved by, accredited by, uh, accepted by, something that is marked 666 is not 777. It's not approved by God. It's approved by man. It is intensely approved by man. It is intentionally man's approval over against God's approval. That's 666. It's what the Smyrnans were facing in Revelation chapter 3. We studied that already, Revelation 3. The Smyrnans, he said, you are, you, you, you are being put in prison. You're, you're, you're made poor. People are turning their backs on you. You're not, they're not buying your goods anymore. All because you, ref- you refuse to follow the beast. Because you insist that Jesus Christ is not one among many gods, because you insist that what Jesus Christ says holds regardless of political affiliation or what is, what is popular or what, is, what, what the, the, um, the gills are saying for you to follow, because you refuse to bow your knee in that way, you're losing your property. People are boycotting you. They're even putting you in prison. It cost a great deal to be a Christian in the first century. It is costing more and more to be a Christian now. And it will continue to cost. And it's unlikely that soon they'll be beheaded, that the unbelievers will be beheading us. But already now, you feel political pressure. You, you, you feel social pressure from those around you. you. You already feel pressure in your school or in your classroom or in your neighborhood or in your club or in your social circles. You feel the threat of those who say, I'm not going to buy your product. I'm not going to frequent your business. I'm not going to come to your practice if I find out that you believe this and not that. More and more that will be the test, and that's what God calls it for the Smyrnans in Revelation chapter 3. He says, you are being tested. The test is, am I your Lord or not? Just as prophets are to be tested, so the Lord says disciples are to be tested too. It's not that the Lord needs to find out whether you're loyal to Him or not. He already knows. But He needs to test you and me to reveal it to us. And He also has to test us to commend this gospel to the world. Who is going to believe us? Who is going to follow the Lord Jesus if they see that, well, we just, we just follow the whims of time? But when they see us, even if they don't like it, when they see us standing on the truth of God's Word because we know Jesus loves us so much and we love Him so much in return and we trust Him, then that commends the truth. Quickly, look at these three things. These are the things that we must have clearly in view from God's Word if we are not going to be tempted by the beast. We must be convicted of what true greatness is, what true riches are, and what true freedom is. Because you see in the text, he says, uh, here is the beast in verse 16. He is stamping his, his accreditation 
on those both great and small, rich and poor, free and slave. And the implication is that those who want to be great will receive the stamp, those who want to be rich will receive the stamp, and those who want to be truly free will receive the stamp, the stamp of approval. What does this require except a Christian mind? A Christian mind that is cut deeply with the truth of the gospel as it is experienced week after week, month after month, year after year. The conviction that only God is great and He is the standard of greatness. And His greatness is revealed in His great love and in His faithfulness and His servanthood. You want to be great in the kingdom of God. You love. You're faithful. You're a servant. It doesn't matter whether the world considers that great or not. You want to be rich in this world. Jesus is the great treasure. And he says, sell everything that you have, like the man who, who sold everything that he had to buy that field with the pearl of great price in it. It doesn't matter what they take away from you. It doesn't matter what they threaten you. Jesus is the greatest. And uh, the greatest aspiration we have is to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then we know what true freedom is. True freedom is not being allowed to live freely outside of prison. True freedom is not the absence of conflict. True freedom is not just being able to live life the way you want to live it, as the way you've always known it. True freedom is to know that God loves you as much as He can ever love you and He's accepted you in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter who refuses to love you or who rejects you. If you know the love of Jesus Christ, then you will be free. And free indeed and truly, whether you're in prison, whether you're all alone, whether you're totally rejected. That mindset only comes from wisdom. Wisdom only comes from the consistent teaching of God's Word in the context of corporate worship. My wife can tell you how much agony I went through yesterday to try to find just the right way to land this sermon And what I wanted to show you more than anything, I wanted to read from you a letter. I'll read a letter to you by someone who said, I I have passed the test. I have endured the battle. I am walking faithfully for the Lord because of those deep grooves that have been cut in my mind and heart by the Word of God. And I, I just couldn't think of it. So I came in early this morning and I looked through my collection of letters. I couldn't just find one, so I decided to bring all of them. I brought all of them from the last church. Now, all these letters, these letters are not, they, they, these don't all say, oh, Robertson, you're so wonderful, you're so great, you're such an incredible preacher and so forth. I don't keep those because I'm afraid Jackie will find them and she'll write the person back and say, well, let me tell you, he's not as great as you think. 
The ones I keep are the ones that say, this is what the Word of God has done for me. The Word of God in worship has led me to a faithful life. That's just from the last church. I got a nicer box from the other church, the first church. This too. And I've started one for you. And the reason I keep them is because week after week I wonder, is this foolishness? What we're going about? And then I look at those letters and I say, no. Year after year, century after century, this is the way the kingdom of God has gone forward by preaching and teaching God's Word, cutting it like grooves in the minds and hearts of God's people, retelling the gospel day by day, week by week. And when the hour of testing comes, those who are formed by that Word instinctly and intuitively make a biblical decision to live faithfully. And when they do, each time you do, the devil is stuck with another fatal wound. And he is gradually more and more defeated. And the kingdom of God goes forward.